In Revelation chapter 14, there are six angels mentioned. Six angels. And over the weeks ahead, if the Lord spare and tarry, we intend to go through the, this chapter and to think about these six angels. You've got three angels, first of all, and then in the middle, you've got someone who's not an angel, and then uh, after him, there's three more angels. Who's the person in the middle? Christ. Look at verse 14. If you have your Bible open there. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's a term that the Lord Jesus used many times. He referred to himself as the Son of Man. It, it has to be the Savior that's described here in Revelation 14. He's in the center, in the center of the angels, in the midst. It's always good when Jesus has the central place, isn't it? Christ in the midst. But back to the first angel, for that's the one that we have read about today. And it tells us more about this angel in verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. So here's an angel preaching. It's a bit strange, isn't it? Because angels don't normally preach. Angels aren't normally allowed to preach. The Lord Jesus doesn't give them this task. During the church age, the day of grace that we're living in at the present time, it's people who preach, saved sinners who preach. And mind you, sometimes we, we who have the responsibility of preaching, we, we, we don't do it very well. We don't always succeed. Sometimes I often say to folk, sometimes the words don't come out the way that the, you have them in your brain. They sort of come out backwards sometimes. But the Lord, the Lord doesn't mind that so much because it's not really about the preacher. It's not about the human instrument at the end of the day. And something else that I often say to people whenever they talk about, oh, it's all about the preacher and we'll have to get this man. And if we don't get him, there's no point just having a gospel service. But something I often say to people is, that it, it, God's not so much concerned with the preacher because even if it's a poor preacher and there's plenty of them, even if the preacher's poor, that proves that the word of God is inspired. The very fact that the, that, that the Bible stands so much poor preaching is proof that it's inspired because the Lord says, well, I know you, you might have messed up when you were trying to preach there and trying to communicate the message, but don't worry about, about that. It's not about you, it's about the Bible. It's about Holy Scripture, and it's about the Word of God that liveth and abideth forever, and it's living seed, and it's not the mouth of the preacher that does the work, but it's the Spirit that does the work as he takes the Word. You see... Uh, in Jerusalem, there's a, a, a plaque, and it's to commemorate. 
In, back in 1940, we're talking about 1947 earlier. Well, 1948, just a year later, whenever Israel gained their independence, the, the, the Arabs tried to blockade and stop supplies getting to the, the Jews in Jerusalem. And the Israeli defense forces, they had to uh, remove the blockade and open up the way to Jerusalem so that the starving uh, people could receive the supplies. And there were lots of men, soldiers, who died in that operation. And to commemorate their sacrifice, there was a plaque put up. You know what verse was on the plaque? Zechariah chapter 4 and 6 Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So I'm just talking to you today. If you're saved and you're feeling a bit down and you're down in the dumps. Well, you can come tonight because we're going to sing down in the dumps tonight because that was one of Nicholson's favorite choruses. But if you're down in the dumps today and you're discouraged, something has happened and you're, you're feeling deflated I want to tell you today, don't be, don't be deflated, don't be discouraged. Encourage yourself in the Lord. And remember, it's not about you, it's about the Lord and his word and the spirit. Because the devil is working overtime today, he's busier than ever. And he's, he's, he's hitting God's people for six and battering them from all angles. And maybe that's what he's been doing to you this, this week or this morning or yesterday or whenever. It's about the Spirit. And in this day of grace, this age of grace, the church age we call it, the Lord has entrusted the preaching of the word to men, to mere mortals. But back to Revelation 14, what's what's going on here? What's happening in this verse, verse 6? It says the angel's preaching. That's, That's a change from the norm. That's different. Well, why is the angel preaching here? Well, because the church age is over. All the Christians are gone. There's there's no more hope of salvation. There's no more hope of being saved. And now it's the great tribulation period. Remember the seven years. And the angel is preaching now. The angel wasn't permitted to preach during the church age. But now for the seven years of the tribulation, we find angels preaching Now, the question is, what is the angel preaching? Well, we find the answer in verse 7. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. (coughs) So there you have the answer that the angel is not... Preaching about Christ or the cross or the resurrection. The angel's not saying, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for, on the cross for you. If you repent and trust him, you'll be saved. No, nothing like that. The angel is preaching about creation. The, er, uh, the earth, sorry, verse 7, the end of verse 7. Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Heaven, earth, the sea, the fountains of waters. Nature. 
There was a man called William Paley. He lived uh, in the second half of the 1700s. He was a Church of England clergyman. He wrote a book called Natural Theology. And in it he describes creation and how creation proves that there's a God. And he talked about a watch, something I never wear. Maybe you have a watch today and you wear it all the time. Maybe I'll have to get one. But Paley talked about the watch and he said when you find a watch, when you look at a watch, there's one thing comes to mind. Somebody made it. There has to be a watchmaker. Or you look at a clock, didn't just appear out of thin air. Somebody made it. Then he talked about, about the eye, the human eye. He said the human eye is like a telescope. In fact, it's even better than a telescope. It's a marvel of creation. And then you get Dawkins and, and Hawking and, and uh, all the, the evolutionists, plenty of them about, and they'll say, oh, the Big Bang, that's where we all came from, that's where it all um, originated. Boy, it takes a lot of faith to believe that, doesn't it? I think I would rather believe what makes sense, what adds up that the human eye was created by the hand of a loving God. Then he, then Paley talked about the spine, the human spine. He said the spine's like a bridge. He actually talked about a bridge near where he lived in near the River Severn in England. And he said that the human spine, it, it can be compared to, to the bridge. The wonder of it. Evidence that there is an, an, a designer behind it all. That's exactly what the angel is dealing with here in Revelation 14. Natural theology. And folks, natural theology is the foundation for the gospel. Not a bit of point telling somebody about John 3.16 if they don't understand Genesis 3.16. And how that God created man, but then man fell and the curse came upon him. And man needs a saviour. And then, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You're laying the foundation. Sometimes we're tempted to say, you know, to someone who wants to start reading the Bible, oh, don't, don't worry about the Old Testament, just start in the New Testament. I'm not so sure about that one. I mean, if you're reading a book or a novel, would you start in the middle? Halfway through? You mightn't, I mean, you mightn't tell them to read, like, First Chronicles Five with all the names or whatever, you know, genealogies, you know. But the need to get to know Genesis. The God of nature. We talk sometimes about the power of nature, folks. There's no power in nature. The power's in the God who, who created nature. And the angel here during the Great Tribulation is preaching about creation, preaching all about uh, natural theology. But there's no mention of redemption 
Because, you know, way too late for that, folks, isn't it? During the tribulation, too late to be saved. Make sure you're saved now in the day of grace. Don't you miss your opportunity? Sometimes in life we, we can miss opportunities to do something or we, you know, opportunities come along and I, I, I'm as bad as anyone. There's, the Lord has sent me opportunities and I've missed them. And boy, you have regrets about it. But I tell you, one opportunity that you'll regret for all eternity if you let it slip through your fingers is, is the opportunity to be saved. So don't leave it until the tribulation when you're left behind and all the Christians are way off with the Lord in heaven, caught up, and you're here behind to face the tribulation and all the horrors and judgments of it. You see, it tells us here that the hour of his judgment is come. The hour of his judgment is come. This is actually at the end of the tribulation and we're getting toward Armageddon and the Lord dealing with all the evil nations and evil tyrants upon the earth. And boy, I tell you, he's going to deal with them someday and you just leave them to the Lord. And then there's three commands here as we finish. Let me leave them with you. First of all, the angel says, fear God. In other words, respect him, reverence him. Give glory to him. Man's chief end is to glorify God. But these earth dwellers in Revelation 14 who are living upon planet earth during the great tribulation, they have failed to give God the glory. And there's now no hope for them. They have nothing to look forward to but eternal damnation. But then there's a third command of the angel here. Worship him. Not only fear him and give glory to him, but worship him. And that's what they do in heaven, folks, all the time. 24-7, worship. Those who are in heaven worship the Lord Jesus 24 hours a day. There's people and they find one hour a week boring in church. Hard, Hard to get through it. It's a real chore. Boy, it's purgatory for one hour in the week to worship the Lord. What are they going to do in heaven? Boy, they're going to be bored out of their minds. Well, the fact is they're not not even going to be in heaven. Because the one thing about, the one thing, the one mark about a believer is that worship doesn't bore them. No, worship excites them. Lord... Am I actually allowed to come into your house and sing your praises, Lord? Am I actually allowed to read the Bible, listen to the teaching and the preaching of your word? Am I allowed to think about these things? Lord, am I allowed to worship and praise you? Lord, only two hours on a Sunday, is that all? So even as we worship here today, they're they're worshiping him up in heaven. You see, he deserves to be worshipped, and that's what I want to finish with today. We don't just worship the Lord blindly. There's, 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 there, there's reasons for it. 
There, there are reasons why we worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's, there, the, these reasons are given here at the end of verse 7. Because he, he made heaven. In other words, the, the sky directly above us or the atmosphere. Do you know it goes up for 100 miles? 100 miles straight up before you get to outer space. And he put it there. He made it all. 100 miles, what would that take you to Dublin? Straight up. Genesis 1. He created the firmament. Spoke. Is it any wonder we worship him? He made outer space, of course, the starry heavens we sometimes talk about. You know, the Bible says in the book of Job, even the stars are not pure in his sight. Even the very stars up there have been tempted by sin. And then Job goes on to say, how much less man that is a worm. If the stars are not pure in his sight, how how much less pure are we? But then, isn't it a good thing that a man called Jesus went to a hill called Calvary and bled and died for us? And he's able to save. And he's going to save. Hallelujah. And I believe he's going to move. Why else would the devil be so busy today? There must be something good up ahead. And he'll get all the glory for it. And and man, man will be just cast in the dust. And then the earth, it says the angel, boy, I can imagine this angel getting very excited to be preaching about this natural theology here. This one that we worship, he's the one who created the earth, the planet that we live in, that we live on. Do you know the ancient Greeks, they used to, they used to say that, oh, a, a big giant called Atlas, he holds up the earth. But then Job, old Job, I like Job, you know, he talks a lot about creation. And you know, in in the book of Job, Job says, he hangeth the earth upon nothing. Chapter 26, verse 7, you want to read it when you go home. He hangeth the earth upon nothing. No, Atlas doesn't hold up the earth. The Lord has suspended it in space and it's a miracle of creation. I think he deserves to be worshipped. Shouldn't all the pews be filled today? But take heart, child of God, if you're praying for a move of God, I believe it's coming. And we'll not see so much of the Wood family in days to come as we look down from the pulpit. The Lord's going to fill the pews. Mind you, he, he wants to fill hearts before he fill, fills pews. That was what Leonard Ravenhill said. Everybody's talking about God filling pews and and big crowds coming to churches. And and Ravenhill turned and he said, God's more interested in filling empty hearts than empty pews. 
And maybe the Lord will have to fill the empty hearts of his people before he fills the pews of the churches. And then it says here that the Lord is the one who made the sea. That's where your sins are today, child of God, by the way. You know the sins the devil hammers you about every day and accuses you. And he says to you, boy, look what you said or you did. You're not much of a Christian. Your sins are in the depths of the sea, according to Micah chapter 7. And the devil will never, he'll never be able to fish them out. There was a wee girl and she was just newly converted and she was sitting on Ramor Head in Port Rush. And she began to think about that wee verse in Micah as it talks about, Thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And as she was thinking about that text and she was looking down at the waves that were crashing against the rocks at Ramor Head in Port Rush and she penned these words, I will cast in the depths of the fathomless sea all thy sins and transgressions, whatever they be. Though they mount up to heaven or reach down to hell, they shall sink in the depths and above them shall swell all my waves of forgiveness. So mighty and free, I will cast all thy sins in the depths of the sea. Is that where your sins are today? Maybe you're not saved and your sins are on your back. Give them to the Lord. Let him put them in the depths of the sea. Because he made the sea. And then it says the fountains of waters. The fountains of waters. And time is gone. We need to finish. That phrase is used throughout Revelation. It speaks of a judgment. How the Lord is going to use the fountains of waters. Springs or wells we would talk about. And he's going to use them to bring judgment upon the tribulation earth. But you know, there's a lovely verse in Revelation 7 and verse 17. Let me just read it to you as we finish. As we think about our wonderful Lord that we worship today, who made the fountains of waters, look at Revelation 7 and 17. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. Don't we who are saved thirst for eternity? There's just something in us that can't find satisfaction in this life. But when we go to be with the Lord, we're going to find perfect satisfaction. And the Lamb who has washed us in his blood is going to lead us on to living fountains of waters. And our thirst will be quenched. And we will be perfectly satisfied for all eternity.